a good day, uh, really, but we're going to get through it, and we're going to get you some good stuff to think about sports-wise to get through it. Of course, even the sports isn't good today. Uh, we're going to have to just uh, wait a little while into the show before we get to Art Bryles being mm. hired at Grambling, uh, address potentially how uh, the governor of Texas is um, attacking trans youth and their families and how that might play out in the sports world. And, of course, MLB emerging from talks uh, uh, seemingly no closer to a result. So we're going to just skip over all of that for now. We'll get to it, but we need to get, you know, the, the sugar, spoonful of sugar first fits. And that comes in the form of the NBA returning. Thank goodness for the NBA returning tonight and offering up something for us to think about that is not the avalanche of awful that is uh, pouring in from every seam. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And yes, we, we always want to say the second half of the NBA season, more like the last third. It was about two-thirds of the way done at the break. And we have a lot of questions that we're going to need answered. But first, we have a lot of storylines coming from the teams that made the biggest moves before the break. And that includes the Nets fits. And this now conversation about the likelihood that the vaccine mandates might change in New York City. And that Kyrie Irving might actually be able to play in all of the Nets games. Nick Friedel, our ESPN reporter on the NBA who focuses a lot on those uh, NBA teams in, in NYC, was on KJM this morning and said, this is a Nets team that despite its record is feeling pretty good. This is a group that says forget what happened for the first two-thirds of this year. You get Kyrie back, you get Ben Simmons in the fold, KD's coming back here in the next couple games. You add Goran Dragic, and you have a, a strong veteran core behind them. Their confidence is such that I've never seen a team at this point in the year with this kind of record that believes, hey, we're going to turn it on. Kevin's coming back. He'll lead us, and we'll get there. Do you think they're warranted, Fitz, in that uh, confidence? Yeah, I, probably, but I'm rooting against it. Uh, like, <laughs> let me just be so clear. Like, here, I need the Nets to just continue to fall apart. Like, it's a much better story this way. Like, I know that, like, in a beacon of light in a dark world, we want the Nets to rise up through the ashes, and suddenly we see the arm come up, and we know they can't be stopped, and they're going to rise, and everybody's going to say, this is incredible basketball. But all that does is remind us how meaningless the majority of the regular season is. It makes it even tougher to justify why on air we have to to sit here on radio and tell you why a Tuesday night game is super important. <laughs> so what I need is for the Nets of so far this season to be the Nets that they are throughout the course of the entirety of the postseason. That will give us the opportunity to spend the next several months talking about is this the greatest fail in all of sports history, right? Like better drama from that. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's possible, but I am I am just absolutely out on rooting. You know what? I hadn't thought about it in the way you have as a good company man, which is how do we keep selling people on the importance of everyday regular season games if they end up not mattering near the end. So that's good of you. What I did think about yesterday, and I'm glad you brought this up because we did not have a show, was that there are, you know me, I'm usually not a hater. I root for my teams. I cheer for my guys and gals. I root for the people I like. I, I, I spend a little less time dunking on the people I hate unless we're talking about the New York Knicks, in which case I take detours to figure out how to dunk on them. But when it comes to the Nets, I am a hater because Kyrie's approach to this has just been so not in keeping with the the values that I associate with with 
loving sports and being a good teammate and, and caring about humanity and everything else. So yesterday, as the stories were coming in, that felt like a big win for all of the people in this strange basketball love triangle. I was like, all of these choices made by these people, whether it's Ben Simmons, James Harden, or Kyrie, have somehow felt like they're all working out. And like, what lessons do we learn if all the decisions that you make that are selfish and bad for your team end up resulting in positives for you? Yeah, you're a thousand percent right. Like, and and look, I like my drama to be sort of compartmentalized. Like, I want my drama to happen during the off season so that we can spend that entire time when we need basketball to talk about in the summer, talking mm -hmm. about the wildness of next year. If we start getting into the wildness of drama while games are going on, I don't stand a chance of being <laughs> able to talk about it. We just don't. Like, we just we don't have the bandwidth for it, do I mean, we? One at a time, NBA. Give <laughs> me games, then give me drama, That's then give right. me games. I can That's only right. handle so many things. Occasional at drama mid season when we need it. If there's a lull and then get right back to the games. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Speaking of games, uh, we got, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven on the slate tonight as we get back into action in this last third of the season. Uh, one of the teams that we will, of course, be keeping our eye on that's a part of that love triangle uh, of those three players is the 76ers. And Danny Green had some interesting sound today. Um, uh, actually, you know what? We'll get to that in a bit because I think I think that's one of our questions that we're going to get to our next yeah, segment. And if you guys questions. have any, at yeah. Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, if you have any questions about this uh, last third that you want answered, things like who's the best team in the East or, uh, you know, will, will Simmons play when his team returns to Philly? Uh, give us those. Send them to us and we'll get to them next segment. Uh, Seth Curry, though. I wanted to talk about Seth Curry. He had some thoughts on Ben Simmons and he told ESPN after uh, shoot around today, business is business. I said from day one, even when he was out early in the season, people were asking me if I feel like if Ben comes back, should he apologize to us or whatever? I understand the business. He doesn't need to apologize to anybody. When he's on the court, I know he's going to do his job. And he's going to do what he does. So I understand the business. He was doing what he felt was best for himself business-wise and personal-wise. Seth Curry, obviously one of Ben Simmons' guys, when he had his first presser after the trade, he mentioned talking to him about it. Um, what do you make of, of his comment that he doesn't have to apologize? Well, I mean, at some point, you've just got to sort of move forward with everybody in this process. I don't know that you're going to say anything. And, and look, we, we've, we were talking last week about the 75th anniversary team and some of the drama for a lot of different reasons, obviously, than this that legends have with each other that played on the same team. I, I look at this, and at some point you've just got to say, okay, whatever happened there, you're not going to apologize in a way that's going to be felt meaningfully right now. It's going to take time. So now everybody just has to move forward. Now maybe like a, a broken relationship, maybe you can come back a few years later and say, hey, I'm sorry I screwed that up, and it might be received, but in this moment, in this time, I feel like everybody's just got to separate, stop worrying about each other, and only focus on their individual business at hand. I agree. I mean, I feel like regardless of whether an apology would be nice in some cases, you're probably not going to get them. And focusing on those is just going to prolong what has already occurred because of the rifts. Ben Simmons, of course, did make a decision for his own best interests to sit out, and that negatively affected the team. James Harden did elect to score four points against the Kings and tell everyone he didn't want to be on the Nets anymore. That negatively affected that team. Kyrie Irving sat out games even before the vaccine mandate and made it unclear whether he was fully dedicated to the team and then missed half of the season so far because of that dedication to misinformation. So he could certainly have something to say to the team that he's on. Uh, I think you're right, though. It's probably best for all involved to just move it on forward and figure out what you got because now you've got a third of the season to gel and come together. Do you think either of those situations is better suited to a quick 
uh, assimilation? No, I, I think all of this is going to take more time than we want to give it. Like we just we I, I use this analogy all the time, but sometimes when we're talking about football and basketball, it feels like we're talking about the video game version of it. And right. like, <laughs> on the video game version, you can put everybody together on 2K and you're going to feel just fine about it. But that's not real. And I think there's adjustments that all of this take. But your, your point is the most important one. This is where I do believe coaching matters and where I believe front office structure matters, because right now for a lot of these teams, you got to stop worrying about anything other than the final third. You're in your sprint. You got to get through your sprint. You you got to get to the playoffs and you got to play with focus. This has been a wildly unfocused year in the NBA. And I believe that it takes everybody else in the locker room to sit down and say, hey, it doesn't really matter why we're here today. How do we move forward? And that's a message that if it's received could make a huge difference in the back third. I appreciate your video game analogy, and I know you made it because you're waiting for your PS5 to be delivered right yeah, now. Yeah, it's it's out. I saw the UPS truck drive <laughs> by a second on the ago, truck. but it didn't stop. It's I on mean, route. I'm leaving the show when it gets here to, to sign for this thing. Let's just see Also, if, as far as that analogy occurs, I'll tell you one team that proved to you if you just give it a little more time to gel after midseason acquisitions, they'll be fine, and that is the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. Coming up, we'll get to the biggest question questions that we need answers to in the second half slash final third of the NBA season. It's next. It's Spain and Fit, Sarah Spain, Jason Fit, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. The NBA is back tonight, the final third of the season couple decent matchups. My Bulls are in action against Atlanta, Memphis, taking on Minnesota, Phoenix, OKC, Golden State, Portland, Denver, Sac, and the night starts out with Cleveland, Detroit, Boston, Brooklyn. Uh, Fitz, there's a lot of things that we're going to need answers to. Most are on the Eastern Conference side of things, so let's start there, and hopefully we'll get into the West as well. But I think the biggest questions exist in that very packed top group. I want to ask specifically in relation to something Danny Green talked about today on Inside the Green Room with Danny Green, uh, whether we think that Bill uh, Bill Simmons w- wouldn't it be crazy if Bill Simmons played against the Sixers? If I mean, Ben I Simmons, if Ben Simmons will make that appearance when when the Nets head to head to Philly, here's what Danny Green said. Interesting dynamic, yes. of how things have went down. Interesting dynamic of who went with him. I don't know. I haven't got a chance to talk to those guys yet, but I know they weren't on the most of cordial terms when he was in Philly with Drum and Seth. Um, so I wonder how that relationship is now. I got a chance to talk to them. Now, will we shake hands to start? Probably not. First, I'd be highly sh- surprised if he even plays in that game. I don't know where his health is mentally, physically, and I don't. we all know that he does not like to play in Philly. But say that does happen, I see it as being a very hectic playoff-like atmosphere environment to where it may be very rough for him. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Understatement of the year. It may be very rough for him. Uh, Do you think he plays in that game? Not a chance. I don't think he, like, I mean, heck, I wouldn't even take him. Like, I just make sure he doesn't even make the trip. But there's no reason to put him in that situation. One game is not going to be worth it, and especially if it is if he's battling with mental health from all of this. The last thing you want to do is spiral him. Like, we have this sort of concept sometimes that somebody can be dragged down into that, that mo- moment and then just wake up the next day and they're like, oh, now I'm not in Philly. I feel great. Like, I wouldn't risk it, the mental health aspect of it at all. There's no reason I would put him on the floor. I wouldn't put him in the building. I wouldn't put him anywhere near it, no matter what pl- people or players might say about it. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be ready probably at all anyway. Um I know that that's, what, a couple weeks off, week and a half off. Um, 
but uh, I don't necessarily expect him to be already in the mix by that point. If he is, it would be awkward for that to be a game that they just don't have him travel and participate in. Uh, but I think if he isn't quite back yet, maybe they decide to aim for the game right after that, and they let James Harden, who is uh, very well acquainted with being the brunt of, of things, be the one who takes most of the hits in that uh, first clash between the two teams after the trade. Um, speaking of the Sixers, Joel Embiid is prohibitively the favorite for the MVP. You could certainly argue that Jokic has got the numbers and is building off of an MVP season last year, but I think more people are seeing Embiid as the front runner right now. Will Embiid's play drop off because of Harden? I feel like it will now, but it won't in the playoffs. Like, now is the right time to sort of test what can happen if Harden takes more of the load and Embiid takes less. Like, we know what everything looks like if they minimize the role of Harden and they make sure that Embiid just keeps playing the way he plays. So to me, what makes sense right now is to pull back on all of that, give him less share, and then try and feel out how everything works if they run the ball a little bit through more through Harden. And if it's not working, you write the ship in the playoffs and go back to what you know works. Yeah, it's hard to tell in part because the Harden that we're watching this year or have watched has his lowest true shooting percentages, lowest points per game, um, you know, having a down year. He's He's wasn't in a position that he liked with the Nets, though. Does that change? You have to go back to previous iterations of Harden to see the guy who would be a good fit with Embiid, and that's why I think it's possible that this does work out well if he can revisit the guy that he was before and is able to allow Embiid to work the way that he wants. Like, if you staggered their minutes, you could certainly get the two acclimated early on without too much of a problem of them gelling. And then otherwise, if you put them together, you know, you're probably going to need to use Joel Embiid into more of a, a pick-and-roll man. Um, he is not utilized very often there. I think he's bottom three in pick and roll frequency for, for players who have uh, done that a, a number of a certain number of times on the season. Um, I also worry about them trying to force it into just a Harden to Embiid post-up when we've seen how effective Embiid has been working around the perimeter. So that's, that's the question for me. I don't know that it's possible to add a Harden and not have Embiid's numbers drop, although it may on the whole make the team better. It might affect Embiid's MVP chances though. Speaking of is he, uh, is he the guy for you, Embiid? Yeah, uh, there's no doubt he's the guy for me. And I don't think anything's going to change that, especially like we have this concept now of, oh, my gosh, the storm he's had to weather through all of the Sim Simmons drama and how much he's had to take on for himself and what he's been able to carry for this team, what was expected, uh, the failings of everyone else around the league. Like I, I just there isn't to me a clearer person out there for MVP, no matter what the stats might say. Like, I think that Embiid is clearly the guy that we've sort of anointed as the he's carrying his team on his shoulders, making him the MVP. Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz. We're asking the big questions that need answers as we approach uh, in it's already underway. The uh, final third of the NBA season post break. Uh, this is a two two parter for you. First, will James Harden stay healthy and will he cause Tyrese Maxey to regress if not Embiid or in addition to Embiid? So uh, I think he's going to be as healthy as he has been. He's just going to be happy now. So he'll play through some things he might not have played through otherwise. <laughs> like, it's amazing how joy suddenly he did, makes you he feel He did like, last year with the Nets, for sure. Although I mean, that that wouldn't have happened this season. You know, uh, yeah, this season it feels like he's a little bit in like, yeah, I, I, I got a thing in my back. I'm just, I'm going to sit this one out. Like, the hammy's bothering me. So, and that's part of what they were joking about with the All-Star game. But, uh, you know, I'll go back to Tim Bontev's tweeted out earlier that Doc Rivers said the plan is for at least two of Harden and Bede, Tobias Harris, and Tyrese Maxey to be out on the court at all times to ensure Philadelphia has consistent offensive threats out there 
at all times. That's such a different rotation. I feel like it has to change a little bit of what Maxi's been doing, and that's a that's sort of a collateral damage byproduct to this. But like, I don't know. I, I feel like Maxi has played so well throughout the course of this year. I don't want to do anything to disrupt the mojo he has, but that seems inevitable to me. Yeah, I mean, I do think that uh, the strengths of Maxi will be affected by Harden's ball dominance. Um, a lot of spacing goes on when Harden runs a pick and roll. Um, and so he'll end up being sort of a floor spacer. He will not be the guy who is, uh, controlling the play. He will instead be post, uh, you know, kind of posting up or not posting up, but posting up for a shot, setting up for a shot beyond the arc and unfortunately not a great three point shooter. So I think, uh, he will, he will likely be on when Harden is off. Uh, and that could definitely affect his play. All right, let's do a speed round of a couple more questions. Uh, will the Bulls stay in the hunt? I'll just take this one, Fitz. Here's the thing about the Bulls. A lot of people are not talking enough about the fact that they require Ball and Caruso to be healthy and playing in order for them to be a good defensive team. This was the question about the offseason makeup of this team all along was defensively, how could they fare? And we know that Vooch is not a guy who's going to be able to dominate big post presences like Giannis, like Embiid. And so in those games that we've seen recently without ball and Caruso causing chaos around the perimeter and making it difficult to get into the half court setup. It hasn't looked great for the Bulls and they've regressed a little bit, but I think when those guys come back and they have their starters, they can still compete the way that they did most of the beginning of the first uh, half of the season uh, without those injuries. I just think people are really underestimating how important those two guys are to the big picture for the Bulls. Okay, West, are you totally out on the Lakers winning it? Uh, yes, I'm totally out on the Lakers winning it. In fact, I I'm not sure the Lakers are going to make the playoffs. Like, I, I, I'm not sure they're even going to make the play-in. I mean, uh, let's, let's just see how this thing spirals. But uh, there's just – there's so little left for them to play for as they continue to go through this season. They're not healthy. And that will also kill their relationship with LeBron. How do you like that? Ooh, boy. Yeah, remember earlier when I said the final uh, the, the, the final rules that we have involve believing in oh, LeBron right. no matter who his teammates are? Well, I did believe in Tom Brady this year. I said, okay, I'm following the rules regardless of what I'm watching. And that didn't work out. So should I really – can I? Will I? I'm going to do it. I'm out on the Lakers winning it. Oh, no. I've, I've jinxed us. LeBron's going to take the ragtag bunch all the way. Uh, NFC teams, offseason needs. Next. I don't know where Fitz is. Uh, in oh, fact, I do. Oh, oh there he is. Uh, I just described you spotting the, Uf the, the UFC. I can't talk today. The UPS truck and then squealing and chasing after it as a, a midlife crisis in action. It is. You're, you're not wrong. That's Look, what this has been about it, all show long. It, it's Payne and Fitz, and I'm, I, I'm barely here. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented <laughs> by Progressive Insurance. The UPS guy just went by the other door of my house, which is on the other side, and I saw him pull out of this little side street. It's hard to get in and out of this street. I don't know what he'd be delivering, so I ran to the door because I got a sign from my PlayStation that's arriving today only to see that he was driving away, and there was nothing at the door. It made no sense. Mm. Like He obviously had stopped. Like so, we'd, mm. what, he did, like second time We've he's driven by my house. every commercial break. It's the second time How many drivers like, just happen to be going by at every And it was supposed to be here by 7 p.m. Okay, <laughs> let's get to some actual sports. Bill Barnwell joining us with some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Bill, I tell you, I'm more professional than this usually, but we all know better than that. Uh, you wrote a great piece today on the .com uh, detailing some of the things that each team in the NFC needs to take a look at. And the Packers situation is the most confusing because it could go a million different directions. So let's start with, like, what's the most likely, in your mind, direction for the Packers when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams? Okay, before we get to that, Fitz, I got to ask you a question, Sarah. 
Mm-hmm. Are you paying random UPS drivers to just drive by <laughs> no, 50,000 and call him? Oh, this no, is... but I should. I should. What I should actually do is have them deliver giant boxes that are filled with nothing. <laughs> oh, my God. All, all with a label, that... the PlayStation label on it. This is yeah. my life. Yeah, yeah, Thanks, yeah. Bill. That is genius. <laughs> that is genius. I will say this about the Packers. I, I think the logical thing is for them to re-sign Devontae Adams, either with the franchise tag or on a long-term contract, and hope that's enough to convince Aaron Rodgers that he wants to come back for the 2022 season. Now, granted, logic does not always enter into situations in the NFL, and especially with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. So I think anything is possible. But to me, I think there's just too much to gain. We know what their upside is. We know what their ceiling is. Best wide receiver in football, maybe. And the guy coming off back-to-back MVPs, I think you do what you need to do to make them happy and give one, if not both, long-term deals. Bill, uh, you indulged in your own detour, so I'm going to take one quickly. Are you married yet? And I thought you were maybe on vacation. I am married in several, uh, a couple months from now. Oh, months? Not on vacation. Months. But okay, if okay. you want to make that happen, I would be happy to go on vacation. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, figured, okay. I just figured right after the football season you might take one. I for some reason thought it was weeks and not months. Okay. We got plenty of time. Plenty of time. Okay. Uh this is lying season. We know that a lot of teams are going to say they're happy with <laughs> fill in the blank, even if they mm-hmm. aren't. Uh, what do we think about the Giants and their decision on Daniel Jones' fifth-year option? Oh, boy. I don't know because, again, this is the example of there's logic, and then there's what NFL teams think. And <laughs> I thought it was very interesting that ownership, I think it was John Mayer with the New York Giants, came out and said every one of the coaches and general managers they interviewed for those two jobs said they thought Daniel Jones had potential still. Now, maybe he does. Maybe we're wrong. Certainly, stranger things have happened. But this also kind of feels like a situation where ownership wanted to hear the guy they invested multiple years in is still really good. And maybe they chose the people who told them that. And I think that there's not much to gain from picking up his fifth-year option. If he surprises you and he blows the competition away and he is great next year, well, then you use the franchise tag to keep him around and negotiate a long-term deal. But you don't want to be stuck in the situation the Panthers are stuck in right now where they have Sam Darnold, the guy they don't want, making, I think, $18.6 million guaranteed Mm. to be the most expensive backup quarterback in football. You don't want to be in that situation. I'd rather run the risk of having to pay a franchise tag than having to keep around Daniel Jones for a fifth year I don't want. Hey, Fitz, remember when you were really high on Sam Darnold? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, (laughs) a... You know, I, I, I got some things right this season. I really did. Uh, you know, that was a lot of belief that was poorly placed in not only him, but also the coaching staff there. What do you do with Darnold now? Like, is there any sort of a situation where they could try and do a, a golf type, type trade, get somebody to take him on, even if they have to give draft equity just to get that number off their books? I think they'd like to. Um, I, I think there's a price where that gets done. I think. $18 million or whatever it is would be tough. I think that's you're talking about a really high draft pick for a team that's already traded away a couple picks to acquire Sam Darnold. I don't think they have a second-round pick this year because they already sent that to the Jets for Darnold. So to me, I think maybe you kind of do a mix. Maybe you eat half of it and you get like a fourth or a fifth-round pick. I think there are teams, there are always coaches who are going to say, hey, we can fix him. Just like, you know, the the, the person you know who dates terrible men who says, I'm, I, we can fix him. It's the same thing with Sam Darnold. And I think, I don't know who that would be, but I think there is going to be a team out there that will be interested at the right price. Now, the question is just, what is that price? And are the Panthers willing to pay that or just willing to say, okay, you can be our backup, just we're going to pay you more money than we want you to do that? 
It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You can go check out Bill Barnwell's piece on what the NFC NFL team should do in the offseason. You can also hear him host the Bill Barnwell Show wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, the Rams, I just mentioned them because we are talking about giving some NBA teams some time to gel. They looked a little suspect midseason as they added new pieces and then eventually turned it into a Super Bowl win. They gave up a mm-hmm. whole lot, though, to get those pieces. How do they improve in this offseason? I think they go to free agency. You know, I think this was already an organization that appealed to veterans, like, you know, playing in LA, playing in California, um, appeals to a lot of people. Now, if income tax isn't always the most thrilling, I think there are some other uh, states, Florida and Texas come to mind that other uh, players might appeal to. But if you're a veteran and you're chasing a ring, I think the Rams were already a very appealing spot. And now they just won a ring. So, you know, they can do it. Uh, so to me, I think it might be one of those things, sort of like the NBA where you have like that team that you know they can add players for less money than, than maybe other teams can. I think that's sort of how they have to do it. But I think a lot of fascinating questions there. Do they keep Von Miller? Do they try and get Odell Beckham back on a you know on a cheap deal because he tore his ACL? I think they can go in a lot of different directions with also, you know the core of that team sticking around. Whitworth and and Weddle became two big pieces despite their age, and they're not going to be around. I mean, does this like when you think about all of this Rams talk though? Does it prove that we overvalue draft picks like it, we know nothing about anybody in the draft other than they're cheap so does it make sense to take the rams route it, it doesn't it doesn't because i'll tell you what at the end of the day the guy who was the biggest difference maker in that super bowl was a guy the rams took with the first round pick in aaron donald you know and there were guys on that roster who played big roles so they drafted ernest jones linebacker had a great game he was a mid-round pick for them cooper cup was a third round pick for the rams and i think the misconception with the Rams is that they hate all draft picks, and they don't. They don't like draft picks at the end of the first round. They will add up those third and fourth and fifth round picks and trust that there's not a big drop-off from the guys they would take earlier in the draft. So to me, I think the Rams have an interesting philosophy, and I think I wouldn't would be surprised if we saw teams maybe try to copy that in the years to come, but I think you have to hit on some draft picks as well. It can't just be, you know, forget the draft. We're just trading every pick. And we're just going to try and win with, with trading for guys. I think that is a step beyond what the Rams did and really hard to pull off. If it's real quick, was that your dog barking at the UPS guy? I can neither confirm nor deny that I just saw the UPS guy leave everything on the porch. Let's go! Oh, wow. But I was professional oh. and I stuck around. Yeah, like, well, I didn't leave. Your, I didn't your leave. dog wasn't good. professional. Uh, well, you know, uh, Spain and Fitz. Bill Barnwell is with us. What's going to happen with the Saints? Sean Payton's gone. We're really, uh, you know, a couple seasons away now from Drew Brees. What's the biggest thing they need to address? Well, it's got to be quarterback, right? I mean, Taysom yeah. Hill, you know, the guy the guy who told us Taysom Hill was a superstar is gone. He's going to be doing media this year. <laughs> and I have not seen anybody else who thinks they can get Taysom Hill to be a franchise quarterback. So to me, I think, whether it's James it's like Winston, when you give someone a Teddy promotion Bridgewater. right before you quit, you're just mm. like, hey, listen, I got you. <laughs> I'm going to get out of here, but I'm going to go ahead and make sure you get what you deserve before I leave, even though no one else That's believes smart. in you. <laughs> That's but, smart. You so, yeah, I feel like you had a quarterback, but they're a team that's going to win with running and defense. Like, they're not the Saints of old. They have a great defense. They have a good offensive line. It's going to be Alvin Kamara, maybe Mark Ingram, if they bring Mark Ingram back, and that defense is going to win them games. The quarterback is going to have to kind of just get out of the way, and I think that makes me think maybe they go for a Teddy Bridgewater. With the quarterback talk, quickly before we let you go, Bill, like, uh, let's take Aaron Rodgers out of the equation. Now, other than Aaron Rodgers, what's the biggest name you think actually ends up on a different team this offseason? Carson Wentz, because the Colts, for some reason, have decided Carson Wentz is bad at football. And I don't think he's great, but I think he's average. And average quarterbacks for a team like the Bucks that have Blaine Gabbard as a starting quarterback right now would interest uh, the Bucks 
a lot. So I think Carson Wentz moves somewhere, and he's probably the best quarterback who does. Yeah. What do the Colts do then? I have no idea. That's the fascinating thing. When I saw Moore's report about the Colts might release Carson Wentz, I was like, maybe this is the secret Andrew Luck comes back plan. I I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, I I feel like maybe they draft a quarterback. Maybe they have a guy they like in the first round, or maybe they have a guy they like in the second round because they don't even have a first round pick because they traded it for Carson Wentz. Very interesting times in Indianapolis. The the devil you know. That's all I'm saying. That's some straight talk. Straight talk wireless. No contracts, no compromise. Bill, I appreciate you hanging out with us. I'm not even going to promise I'll be more professional next time, but, you know, thanks for the help (laughs) of the UPS man. Maybe your dog will be. Uh, Thanks, check guys. out the Bill Barnwell podcast packs, podcast wherever you get your pod- <laughs> check out the Bill Barnwell show wherever you get your podcast. I'm going to learn how to read. That's what we're going to do. Uh, I don't do anything well. Tom Brady does everything incredibly well. It's all perfect, and he's he's taking his talents another direction. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. There are certain days that just carry more joy. This this is one of them at this point, obviously, because the most important thing that could happen to either Spain or Fitz for the entire week just happened. My PlayStation 5 was delivered. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Sarah, I know you're excited. And, uh, you know, I just try and hold it down a little bit. Don't worry. Uh, someday you'll get one of them. We can play Madden together from different locations online all night. Like, doesn't Listen, that sound man, like... Listen, man, I know? would be happy for you, except for every time you stumble your way through the end of a segment, you promise you're going to go learn how to read. No. And I just don't think you're going to have any time for it now that you have a PS5. That's probably... Probably fair, but you know, at this point, it's a little like swimming. If I don't know how to read, like I'm, I might as well just get through it. You know, I'm the Charlie uh. Day of ESPN Radio. I think that's what's happening. Uh, we've asked you, we are about to ask you guys, I should say. We were talking about earlier some of our predictions for the back half of the back third of the NBA season. How are things going to go from here? So we want you to tweet us at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz the wildest NBA prediction that you have for the end of the season that could actually come true. Like, I want something that's actually, you know, slightly plausible, but still wild and crazy. So uh, get us some of those in the next hour. We'll, uh, we'll laugh at each other as we try and figure out how wild the back third could be. And I will say this before we move on. I think there's a chance for a lot of chaos when you start thinking about, for anyone that hasn't paid attention, the standings, particularly in the East, are so crazy that you could look at it and see a thousand different scenarios. So, you know, I think there's the opportunity for things to get quite chaotic in the back portion of the season. As long as the, the Bulls remain at the top of the standings, everybody will be happy. Yeah, I mean, duh, I think that's the key, is that it all comes back to the Bulls reasserting themselves as the true uh, tr- true best of the East, and uh, everybody coming to coming to you know the place that I'm at. Yeah, well, the place that Sarah's at is Chicago, and one of the interesting things about this show, peek behind the curtain, is that Sarah uh, does the show from Chicago, and I do the show typically from Connecticut, right? Mm-hmm. So we're in different cities as we uh, as we do radio together every day. Now, if we ever traded cities, I'm pretty sure. That we would not trade houses, which would make us different <laughs> than uh, one trade. Larry Nance and Josh Hart, uh, when they were traded, they literally just switched houses, which yeah. is crazy to me. They were both a part of the C.J. McCollum deal from the Trailblazers to the Pelicans. But rather than try and figure out how to find a house, which is uh, honestly really difficult in the middle of the season when you're trying to figure out how to play and you've also got to get out with your team. you got to have some place to live. They just uh, hooked up with each other and said, hey, 
let's just do a little swap here. So uh, yeah. they traded houses and now they're living in each other's place. Honestly, it makes sense because they're friends, right? And it's not just you need to find a place to stay, but in theory, you've got a certain budget and a certain expectation that isn't going to be the majority of houses in that area. So you've got somebody and, and I actually would have to look at their deals in terms of amount of uh, time left because if it's just going to be you know the rest of this season and then you get to figure out where you're headed after that you're not going to go ahead and, and buy some place or get invested in a place that you have to do everything for just move in they take their most important belongings it comes fully furnished right um you know if you're if you're nance you get josh hart's wine fridge uh remember he brought that wine fridge to the bubble and he was really into having like the very specific wine temperatures and things so i guess you know nance probably gets that part of it um and honestly, you know, you mentioned that we wouldn't swap houses. I would be happy to swap houses with you. I just don't know if you're familiar with moats or helicopters. And I'm, oh. I just, I wouldn't want you to feel like you weren't comfortable at my place. Look, all I was thinking is, I was thinking about the process of, of switching houses. Two things. Are you switching back at some point? Like, because that's probably part of the <laughs> right. inevitability. Like One would think. Are, you know, and then the other portion of it is, uh, you would come here and realize that there's just a staggering amount of alcohol. Like, I mean, it, it is <laughs> it is alarming. So, like, I'd have to, I feel like that, like, I could, people could show up at my door. I, I'm very clean. I'm, like, neurotic with how I keep my house. Uh, so, you could, anybody could show up at the door and suddenly be like, hey, I need to crash. I'm like, okay, I got, but but I, I am now looking around realizing that that would be the thing you text me about. Be like, hey, man, do, do you have a Are problem? You okay? like, that Are you okay? Nobody should have this much By alcohol the way, in one house. Speaking of what I would like to see, which is the reaction that I would have to walking in your house and being like, are you good, bro? Um, why don't they make this into a documentary? Like, oh my God, we've yes. done wife swap. We should absolutely do house swap. Like, I don't know if there's anything interesting about these teams, you know, that's more interesting than seeing these guys move into each other's houses and, and delight and joy and whatever the other one has that's weird or different. The NBA should make this a series every year and then require one trade per year just for this purpose. Like, <laughs> hey, now you got to live in somebody else's house. And sorry, you guys were the two picked to do it. Like, I'm picturing somebody particularly, like, large living in, in somebody's house that's not as tall. Like, some of the things that you would customize in an yeah. NBA player's house to make sure that it was good for you if you were particularly tall like i love all of this this is this you is ever moved in idea. anywhere that had like something really weird where you're like what were the people before me thinking because my husband's a realtor so he will send me pictures occasionally and there'll be like a bathroom that has two toilets right next to each other and you're like but why like yeah there was there was a uh, weird what, what was thing going that, through their head in one of my houses i lived in in nashville there was a weird like go down to the bottom of the stairs and like as you went into the basement there were a bunch of cabinets that made no sense and a sink that was never hooked up. And I was always mm-hmm. like, there's not even water running down here to this mm-hmm. area. Like, what was your what, what what was your plan? Like, what do you right. what do you need in the basement that you're you're you know, the finished basement has some weird cabinets and a sink in it. Like, who'd you murder? That, that's always my first thought. <laughs> Too many, too I really appreciated things. that the people before me put outlets in the bathroom drawers oh. so that you can plug in like a blow dryer or a, a hair straightener or something and then just tuck it into the drawer and it stays plugged in. That is a, no, I'm stealing that idea. Yeah. That's really spectacular. Yeah. yeah. That is, yeah, I, I'm all in for that. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Also, all in on Tom Brady. We knew that he was going to do things post-football. Uh, I, you know, I guess we should have expected making movies because that's the cool thing to do. But he's now going to produce and appear in a road trip comedy for Paramount. Uh, this this thing is, uh, it, it's football-based. It's got an all-star cast, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, uh, Rita Moreno, Sally Field. It's called 80 
for Brady. So I'm a little torn on this because I love the concept of, hey, he's going to go out there and make a movie. I just, his name's in it. That's just a little ah, meh to me. I don't know. Like, your first movie, I, I just don't know that it needs to be, like, 80 for Brady. It just feels gross to me. I actually am excited for it. I think oh. if you had told me it was just any generic movie with Tom Brady, I might have said, eh, I'm good. He def- definitely has more of a personality than we ever thought when he was with the Patriots. He's really coming to his own with a lot of the social media stuff he does. He could be decent. But also, more importantly, this is based on a true story that I find very charming. The idea that there would be this group of elderly women who are massive Patriots fans who would decide to trek to the Super Bowl and the hijinks that would ensue. I don't know if in the real story there's this particular number or if they were turning 80 but I'm guessing the four of them are all turning 80 or one of them is turning 80 and that's why it's 80 for Brady and if you've got a movie with Lily Tomlin Jane Fonda, Rita Moreno and Sally Field I am going to watch it even if Tom Brady's in it. I mean maybe like I don't know this whole thing. What are you not a Gracie and Frankie fan? uh, What do you hate West Side Story? You don't like Forrest Gump? Uh, no, I don't like Forrest Gump. That is one of my I better I forgot that takes. you have terrible the, the, taste. The, the, soundtracks, the, yeah. uh, the soundtracks are electric. Great movie. Uh, Great best movie. soundtrack. Uh, maybe the best movie soundtrack compilation of all time. But the movie itself, meh to me. I, I'm totally out on on that movie. Uh, I, I don't know. 80 for Brady just feels like it was. it's buried on my Netflix recommendations, like eight pages down when I've had too many edibles and I don't know what I want to watch. That's what it sounds like to me, the titles. I'm just... I'm a title mm-hmm. guy. Tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast. Gets you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily. Available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. I, you know, maybe I'm in on that. I'm more in on the reality show we just created where players switch houses. Though. We yeah. can do that in the NFL also. Like, you and I could do that for our own YouTube series. And uh, I would just want, like, you know, Aaron Donald and a punter to switch or something, though, just to see it. How they live differently. Yeah, and then move back into the house afterwards and see what that punter. Well, that's like when Carlos Boozer stayed. Was it Prince who stayed at his house or he stayed at Carlos Boozer's house? I'll get to the bottom of that story. We'll come back with it because that was hilarious. Later in the show, I'll tell you the story. All right, coming up next, big news in college football with the serious note. We'll cover it. Spain and Fitz. Happy to welcome in senior editor at Texas Monthly, Dan Solomon. You can follow him at Dan Solomon on Twitter. Dan, thanks for the time. You know, I, I, I would like to say I'm shocked by Art Bryles being hired, but in fact, I'm not surprised at all. It felt like there were going to be minor moves, uh, uh, even uh, globally and across across the pond, before he would be welcomed back here somewhere. I don't know if Grambling State was the place I expected, but he's now the OC under Hugh Jackson. Did you think that there would be a day where Bryles would get back in to American college football? I am not surprised by it, but also it hadn't happened yet. And, you know, we have had many years between uh, Baylor and now. So I was a little bit surprised, I guess, that um, that it finally happened, that someone finally decided to do it. You know, he had been coaching uh, really small town high school football here and then, uh, you know, coaching in, in a semi-pro league in Italy. So there's been lots of opportunity. And every time it's come close, uh, students at the schools that have, you know, flirted with the idea of hiring him have uh, talked the administrations out of it. And uh, this time it seems like that didn't happen. All right, Dan, I spent a lot of time today digging back into everything and historically with this because it feels like sometimes it just slips our mind. So when you look back at everything that you reported on with our brows, what stands out to you as the most egregious reasons he shouldn't have an opportunity like this? The thing that I'm worried about is that uh, he had a real tendency to believe that football cured all ills and so that he could recruit players who had 
uh, violent pasts or, or red flags in their past, and that if he just brought them football and coached them well, that those those concerns would go away and that they would grow into the men that he wanted them to be. And I don't think that uh, that that certainly didn't prove to be the case in Waco at Baylor, and I don't know that it works the way that he wants it to work, but that seems to be something he's always believed, that if you just coach these uh, these troubled young men into better people, then they'll be safe for, for people to be around, and that's just not how it happened at, at Baylor. Dan Solomon with us from Texas Monthly. Not only that, but the idea that if that doesn't work and when awful things happen to people, um, he prefers to either obfuscate responsibility or to keep it moving and not address it. We remember not only uh, overseeing a program and alleging that he somehow wasn't aware or, or wasn't involved, but then after the fact, there was at least one victim who sued the university, claiming that Bryles backed out of his pledge to support and apologize to her after she was raped by former football player. Player Tevin Elliott, who, by the way, was sentenced to 20 years in prison and fined $10,000, um, revealing in his criminal trial a rape of three other women uh, and other crimes. And uh, this this victim was so angry uh, that she came forward and released a statement about all of it. And th- just that much of Bryles thinking so little of the victims after the fact and after all is said and done as to re-victimize them by not following up on promises like that. I think that tells you a lot about how he even views the problem on the whole. I think that you're right. I think that he, uh, he definitely didn't want to engage with any of it. That was the, the consistent thread that we found as we were reporting this is that he, you know, he would say, okay, great, have them go to the police. And he would, you know, try and not, not have to take any responsibility, take any accountability for why they were there and try not to let it disturb his program at all. And uh, I think that, you know, that obviously had, dire consequences in Waco. So in an article you co-authored in 2019, one of the lines in there that really stood out to us, if you're trying to make sense of reports coming out of Michigan State in the wake of Larry Nassar or Ohio State or Texas A&M, there are lessons to learn from what happened at Baylor. So we sit here three years less later. Do you feel like lessons have been learned? I don't know if you can really say that to a great extent. I mean, I think that there are you know, there, he was out of coaching for several years, and I think that um, that meant something to people who wanted to believe that these institutions that they care about. You know, the 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 women who are you know who who reported being assaulted at Baylor are people who love sports, love football, love their universities, um, and I think that you know it meant something to them that there was an example of of consequences. Um, I think that it's harder when those consequences go away when he's back, you know, coaching again. I think it sends a message that maybe maybe things haven't changed a lot. Um, you know, I think it's unfortunate that Art Riles kind of ended up becoming the symbol for this, that there weren't more examples of, uh, you know, more consequences because, it's, you know, Baylor's not unique at, with this happening. Um, but I think that uh, because he was the symbol for it, when that symbol goes away, then it's really hard to believe that anything has changed. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking about the hiring of Art Bryles as offensive coordinator at Grambling State. We're talking to Dan Solomon, senior editor at Texas Monthly. Um, Dan, does it make sense from a football perspective? Is it really worth all of the publicity that this is getting and not in a positive way? Is he that good of a football coach? Is he that necessary in order to increase the, the, the success and results of the program at Grambling State? You know, 
it's hard to make that argument. I think there are a lot of really good offensive football coaches. Um, you know, Bryles, uh, his most recent job was coaching at a high school, a division three high school or a, yeah, I mean, a division three high school here in Texas. Um, you know, a very small school. He did all right there. He got them to, uh, you know, the semifinals in that division, but he didn't win. Um, you know, he, he was somewhat successful. There were some recruiting irregularities. He brought in uh, players who uh, maybe weren't fully eligible to be competing in that district. Um, and, you know, Surprising. he did okay, but, you know, he was coaching high school football at a lower level and didn't, you know, didn't take the world by storm. Dan, I just keep looking at this and trying to figure out if it was worth it. But the other side of it is, should there be a line where somebody gets a second opportunity? In your mind, with all the reporting that you did on this and all the research you've done, did Art Bryles deserve a second chance? I think that uh, it's possible to earn a second chance. It's possible to take accountability. It's possible to uh, you know, show that you have changed and that the mistakes that you made are mistakes that you know, you've learned from. I don't think he's done that. I don't think that his time in uh, Mount Vernon, Texas, coaching high school football showed him doing that. I don't think that the way he talked about Baylor, the way that he still talks about Baylor, um, you know, when he is willing to address it, shows someone who has learned and, uh, you know, doesn't see himself as the victim of an unfair uh, situation as opposed to someone who created that situation. So, I, I, yeah, I think that it is possible that people can and should deserve second chances and opportunities to learn from their mistakes. I just don't know if he has done it in this situation. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think also there's always this push for quote-unquote second chances or what should they never work again? Yeah, they should never work again in a job that requires them to prioritize the safety of young people or the safety of anyone, really. There's plenty of other jobs that Art Bryles may have to work because he has himself been responsible for preventing himself from working in football again. That's how I view the situation because I think there are certain things that go above and beyond just earning a second chance. Hey, Dan, before we let you go, we're talking to Dan Solomon of Texas Monthly here on Spain and Fitz. I wanted to ask you quick, being out of Texas and, and as we're reacting to the Texas governor pushing to investigate medical treatments for trans youth as child abuse, and this is part of a continuing um, push of policy and law, et cetera, around the country uh, that's anti-trans, but in this particular case, uh, really getting a massive uh, outcry. Have you seen it all yet in the very early responses to that, how this might intersect with the choices of people who are hosting sporting events or attending sporting-related things in Texas? We saw uh, from South by Southwest, uh, Alex Morgan's uh, organization decided to not attend South by Southwest this year uh, in direct response to Governor Abbott's uh, order to investigate medical care as child abuse uh, on Monday. We saw that happen this week. So, um, you know, I would expect that, yeah, we're probably going to see, at least around the kind of the edges, there's been talk that, um, you know, the National Women's Soccer League should uh, cancel events that they have planned here. Um, you know, I think it's harder to see exactly how that's going to happen with, um, you know, men's events that happen at the largest, you know, at, at the stadium and, you know, Jerry Jones, stadium in Dallas and things like that. Um, I haven't seen anything suggesting that that's going to change yet, but you know, if there's pressure to do it, um, I don't know that that would change the minds of the people uh, in Texas government who are pushing these things. They're pretty uh, obstinate and they are speaking to a pretty uh, small, but, you know, very 
definite group of people who care about these things. And I don't know that, uh, you know, business uproar is going to change a whole lot, but, um, you know, I understand why people are, are considering it for sure. Awesome stuff, Dan. We really appreciate your time and your insight, man. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Good stuff. Good stuff for sure, but plenty more to say about it, including the timing of uh, Grambling State finally acknowledging the hiring. We'll get into it next. Bain and Fitz. Doing a lot of Miley Cyrus talk during the break there. I saw Miley at the Super Bowl week, and I'm a big fan now. I really, I've begun celebrating her entire catalog. It was, uh, just the bangers for me before, but now I'm into it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You can follow us at Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz. A little later in the show, we'll get to some of the crazy and wild predictions that you all have made for the final third of the NBA season that might actually come true. We'll get to that. But first, we just talked to Dan Solomon about Grambling State hiring ex-Baylor football coach Art Bryles as offensive coordinator. Um, this was rumored for a while, Fitz, and a lot of people were reacting to it without the school officially acknowledging the hire. They did that today. They literally, not a Friday news dump, a literal war news dump. They waited for an actual war to go underway before they were willing to acknowledge and the, the tactic is only slightly working because plenty of people are still paying attention to the fact that this was a man who was uh, head coach at Baylor during an intense, widespread, terribly managed and handled sexual assault uh, in investigations, uh, many of them. Um, and he had to go all the way to Italy to coach before he could make it back into the collegiate ranks as the OC under Hugh Jackson. Just a strange combination of folks there, there at uh, Grambling State. And, and Fitz, what do you make of people saying, well, what's he supposed to do? Can he never work again? Well, you know, a, a couple of things to that. Number one, he can work. I mean, there's plenty of jobs out there. Uh, lots of things he could do for a living. It doesn't mean that he has to be the leader of young men. Uh, that, that's the he can never work thing always rubs me the wrong way because it implies mm -hmm. that there's no other way for him to pay his bills. But I think one of the important things to, to remember about all of this is that we live in a society that is, in general, fairly forgiving. So y if you come out and explain the how and the why and how you've changed – this is a society that likes to give a lot of second, third, fourth, fifth chances, particularly uh, to, to people that are good at something. So, you know, that, that doesn't matter if it's music or if it's football. Like, we, we live in a world where you come out and you, you, you say the right things. You can get another opportunity. He's just never really bothered to do that. And so for anyone that says he can't work again, I guess my first question would be, what proof do we have that he's different than he was then? Because he hasn't really come out and given us apologies or statements on how he's changed or what he's done during his off time to figure out how to be better at any of those things. In fact, it seems like he's really done the opposite and dug in on how much he loved that time and, and what a smear campaign it was. Like that doesn't that's not how you get a second chance. Like you get a second chance by I don't know, just once doing the I'm sorry, I should have handled this better in a very public way and then answering questions about how you're handling it better. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think all of that applies to most situations, and I think in this situation he would at least be much better off if he had showed any contrition during it, if he, after the fact, as I mentioned in our interview with Dan, hadn't reneged on a promise to interact with, apologize to, meet face-to-face -face with a couple of the victims that he claimed he would. Um, but also, I think that there are certain things that are not owed to anyone, regardless of contrition or attempts to rehabilitate. And one of those, to me, 
is if you have proven that you cannot and will not prioritize the health and safety of young people, then you do not need to be in a job where there is any power or influence or control over that. You can go do other jobs. And if they aren't as high paying and they aren't in the thing that you're good at, you don't deserve that. You are not owed that simply because time has passed since we all remember how outrageous your actions were. And that's what it always feels like to me when we have these conversations, Fitz, is that if someone disappears for a little bit, when they come back, the number of people shouting second chance or asking, are you perfect? As if that's a reasonable and logical way to discuss someone's deserving of being in a position like this is kind of mind-boggling. And it, it, it's a little bit related to the conversations that we have about domestic violence and sexual assault, the idea that people tend to side with the accused, especially if they're well-known and popular, because they don't want to live in a world where bad things happen to good people. They want to blame the victim, and they want to conflate the morality of someone with their ability to succeed. And that happens in college football as well. Someone is good at coaching, We are not only going to say we prioritize that over anything. If you can help us get W's, we don't care who you are and what you've done. But also we will conflate the idea that if they are good at coaching football, then they are probably a good person who just quote unquote made a mistake. And now that they've been gone for a while and we haven't heard about them, they've probably figured it out. It's kind of mind boggling except for the fact that everything pretty much sucks and most things are based on money. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And, and Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, I, I say this a lot when we have this conversation, but for anyone that hasn't ever heard me talk about this before, I mean, my brother did substantial prison time for possession with the intent to distribute. And when he got out of jail, there are certain opportunities that were simply not available to him anymore because he had two felonies on his record, right? Like two felony convictions. So all of a sudden you're held to a different standard on what you're capable of doing. And you got to find a different way in life. And so nobody was sitting there at the time. Like when you're not supremely talented, at something that we love to spend money on. Then we accept the fact that the second chance mm-hmm. doesn't look the same as the first chance. It gets different though. When all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but this person's a great singer or this person's a great football coach or this person's a great football player. And I don't know where the right line is. I, I, I struggled personally when Michael Vick got out of prison because I'm such an animal fanatic and the things he did was so awful to me that it was a real difficult conversation for me with, you know, hey, he did his time. He deserves another chance. And I, I struggled with that because of my passion for that particular issue. But I also at least heard Michael Vick consistently say, hey, here's what I didn't do well and here's how I've changed and here's what I'm doing now. And like those are at least things that can create some sort of understanding to why somebody deserves opportunity. The, the, the chance to be a football coach is such a difficult one that people fight for for so long. Everybody goes through this long process of trying to get that that great once in a lifetime opportunity where you won the lottery. Once you've blown that chance because of your own actions, doesn't mean that you suddenly get to get that one percent job again. And so for me, I'd have to understand what you know. And I read the article where Baylor said they spent or Grambling State, I should say, spent 10 days looking into it. I'd love to know the specifics. Uh, mm-hmm. Like We always want to know the specifics, and I, we I, never get them. That transparency, it's sort of like you know when they say, we vetted anyone and everyone close to the situation, and they're like, what about the girl who actually accused this you know player? Well, no, not her. Okay, well then, no. You ask the person's coaches and friends and the people that like them. And there's got to be, for all of this process, all it would have ever taken is Art Briles coming out and being specific about what he did, 
Howie's not going to do it again. And Grambling State coming right. out. Hugh Jackson coming out. My, Hugh Jackson had no problem being very specific about why he thinks he doesn't work in the NFL anymore. Mm-hmm. Why is he not coming out now being specific about why I, Art Bryles was worth it for him? Agreed. And, and I say this every time. If you want to take on players, coaches, front office owners, whoever that have these things in their past, it is then your responsibility to be more than transparent, to be more than clear about why they've earned this opportunity and why you deserve to be rooted for and supported in that decision, not less. And most of the time, that's not what happens. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. By the way, in that last segment, Fitz, you sounded a little like a robot sometimes, and I'm worrying about whether the PS5 has already gotten literally into you. I'm a little bit worried about it getting into you. You're part robot. Quentin Richardson will join me in Robot Fits to talk second half slash final third of the NBA season next. I mean, I appreciate Jay Will riding with Memphis, but I'd like to think that I've been ahead of him on that one. I'm just throwing that shade early on. Oh Spain and Fitz on ESPN oh Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And, Sarah, we mentioned it earlier. We are in the sprint portion, like the the back third of the NBA season, and it is so compact at this point that it feels like everybody's just going to be running through everybody to try and get through it. So I figured we get some expertise. Let's uh, let's join former NBA player now, Quentin Richardson, joining us. You can check out the Knuckleheads podcast wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Q, always appreciate your time, man. Thanks for hanging out with us. Harden to the Sixers, Simmons to the Nets was what we all talked about when it went down. So as we go into the second half stretch of this back third, what do you think Harden provides to the Sixers that can get him over the hump? Uh, thanks for having me, uh, guys. I, I mean, obviously, I think you know he he provides them with a with a with a second superstar that's actually available to play. Being that you know Ben Simmons had opted to sit out and things like that, so I mean he he provides them literally a, a second superstar to to Joel Embiid. But I mean he's a he's a he's a league league leader in assists or right behind Chris Paul, I believe. And obviously, we know he can he can score the ball as well as anybody in the league. What do you make of how it might affect Embiid's game? Because he's sort of the prohibitive favorite for MVP. Between him and Maxi, do you see those guys having to take a step back to accommodate? Um, I think I would. I don't know how much it impacts either of those guys' games. I think if you know, if we see the James that came into into Brooklyn. You know, the the, the point guard type of James Harden, who came in setting the table and was a high assist guy there. I mean. I think when he gets over here to Philly, I think you'll definitely see his game will impact, you know, Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. But I think probably uh, Maxey will have the harder the harder adjustment of the two because Joel Embiid is going to be option one. Things will run through him, and, and, and everything will go through big, big fella. But uh, I think James automatically steps into the number two spot, and, you know, that's going to push Tyrese Maxey down to, you know, just a just – a, the uh, hierarchy, but I think he'll still be able to be very impactful and, and make a big difference with James on the court. But Q, I was saying earlier, like this isn't 2K. Like we can't just put a bunch of guys together and have <laughs> it all suddenly work out, right? Like so how long, in your mind, how many games does it take for something like this to actually get worked out? You, I mean, you don't know. I mean, this is, a, this is I mean, we all want to say and we want to believe and you expect it to work out, but the the, the the truth is until we get it out, until we see the, those guys out there, we don't know what's going to happen because the truth of the matter is, is that James Harden has been through a lot of a lot of superstar teammates where it hasn't really worked and, and he's been moving on here lately. So, I mean, 
we still have to see it happen. It's there, nothing is guaranteed in the NBA until it, until it actually happens. So, I mean, while we all, you know, assume and, and everybody's saying the right things over there, we don't know how it's going to look until they actually get out there and get it. And as far as how many games, you, you never know, man. It could, it could be, you know, it's like 20-some 20, 20 games left. It could take all of them or it could take one. It could be one one game where something specific happens that you know kind of bonds them together, or it could take longer. You just never know. Quentin Richardson is with us. You can hear him on the Knuckleheads podcast, co-host of that wherever you get your podcasts. Also follow him at Q Rich. We're going to get to Chicago. They are uh, working over Atlanta right now. But I, I have to ask about the net side of things because, you know, when they start to settle in and they've, they've got everybody gelling, there's still the matter of Kyrie potentially being able to now play all games instead of just half. How big of a swing would that be for the Nets in terms of the maybe percentage that you'd trust that they win it or the belief that they have a shot at contending? How much different is it to you if Kyrie's available for all the games instead of just away? I believe the percentage goes higher for me. If he, if he, if they, you know, if the New York lifts the mandate and he's able to play in all of the games or a much higher percentage of the games, uh, I believe that, you know, that definitely sends their percentage of a, of a chance to, to compete and, and win a championship way up because I feel like no matter how good you are, we all know this, there has to be some type of continuity and some type of, you know, uh, feel for each other out there on the court. And I think, you know, the, the, the more games those guys get to play together, the scarier it is. I mean, you know, it's always going to be that option. That regardless of they, it, when, when you add Kyrie to that element, they're going to have an opportunity. But I think it just goes goes up a, a bit when, when they get a chance to get those games together under their belt. And when you say continuity, I just keep in my head screaming Milwaukee. Like, that's that's what Milwaukee is. Like, are we devaluing their experience they already have as we look at the end of the season? I don't know who we is. I don't. I don't devalue <laughs> them. I, I I I have them firmly in my in, you know in my um, championship thoughts. I, I I don't see why anybody wouldn't be thinking that they aren't back to you know defend their title. And, and Giannis is looking better and better every year. And I feel the same about him this year. He's taking another step. As hard as that is to believe, I feel like he's gotten better this year. And I think. They are a team on a mission. I think they've been, you know, kind of up and down and had some injuries and things like that. But I think them being there, tasting it, they know what it takes. I think they're more focused on not trying to have the best best record or whatever. I think they want to get healthy and go into the playoffs playing their best. And I think they're going to be right there. And whoever it is in the East, they're going to have to see them at some point. Speaking of the East, I've waited long enough. Quinn Richardson <laughs> is with us. I'm trying to explain to people that the heat around the Bulls early on was not misplaced, that the perhaps a slight regression or the way that they haven't matched up to the best teams in the league when they face them uh, head-to-head is in part because their, their system relies on Ball and Caruso mucking things up on the perimeter and making it tough for teams to set up in the half court because they can't necessarily rely on Vooch to go with the bigs. they got to be more creative in their defensive sets, and they can't do that without Ball and Caruso. Do you agree when those guys come back, they at least have a shot to make things more interesting than they have against those top teams in the last couple meetings? No, I agree a hundred percent. I can recall back to I was uh I was you know, I worked for the Magic broadcast and I do pre halftime and post game and I remember getting through doing a pregame and coming down to the media seat sitting there and I got to see those two guys in particular up close. Ball Lonzo Ball and, and, and um uh, Caruso. Caruso, Alice Caruso, their on the ball pressure and defense and their ability to Grew up, uh, uh, you know, the offense even getting into a set because those guys pick up full court. And I watched it up close in person. I say this, 
these dudes are next level. When those dudes get back 100% healthy and they get back out there, that changes the whole complexion of their team. Because that's a starter pressing up full court, and that's the guy coming off the bench. And some, when they get in the lineup together, it's a nightmare. I'm telling you, they are going to be an issue. That is, they are definitely legit, and I, I love what they're doing in Chicago. Whoop, whoop. Take, uh, look at that. She's going to be insufferable. Let's take a look at the West. The Suns, obviously, no Chris I mean, Paul. Jay, I mean, Jason, we didn't even say anything about Zach Levine and DeMar or Vucci. I'm, yeah. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's believe me, I hear this about three times a week at this point. Like this is just part of like <laughs> that, that, that's part of what's happening. Uh, real quick uh, on the West side, the the Suns, no Chris Paul. How do you see the West playing out when you look at Chris? When you look at uh, the the Suns, the Warriors, and the Grizz? Man, I think I think that's that that's where you'll see the, those three teams right there are, are going to be right in the thick of things at the end. I think the one advantage, you know, if there was any for for Chris Paul getting his injury, is that you know he he's had about four or five hand or thumb injuries, so I think he'll know how to attack this, and I think he'll know how to keep himself ready to play in the best in the best playing position that he can be in, and I think the professional and the professional he is and how hungry him and this team is for a championship. I think he'll come back and be ready to go when he comes off this injury. So, I mean, I think they'll be able to hold down the fort and at least keep them in a one or two seed. But I mean, I definitely know that that, that those top three teams, Memphis, Golden State and Phoenix, it, 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 those are going to be hard outs in any seven game series. Q, we, uh, we make some rules around these parts, and then we immediately usually just don't follow them. But, but we try to convince ourselves, <laughs> and a couple of them were, you know, never pick against Tom Brady just because he's getting older, and, and never pick against LeBron regardless of the supporting cast and how dire things may look in the regular season. Can we still say that? I know he personally is playing fantastic ball, but is he still a guy that we can look at the landscape of the NBA it's very different than when he was with the Cavs and we could question the supporting crew. Is this Lakers team out? Is there any way for you to imagine that LeBron has enough to get them back into contention? Um, like you just said, I, I haven't come to the point where I'm ready to say he's out and I'm not come, I haven't come to the point where I feel that he can't carry them. Until he shows me that, I have to believe that it's still possible. I mean, I, I feel like if they get in a play-in situation or any of those things, I mean, I know it's going to be extremely tough with, you know, with the outlook being with AD not being back for four or however many more weeks, and that's basically the rest of the regular season. So, I don't, and I know they they record. I mean, they they uh they schedule is is not that favorable either. But I mean, until until I see it, I I, I have to go with what I've seen. LeBron is always as long as he's there in the lineup. They I feel like they have a chance. They have a chance to get, you know, to to, to win games if they get in the play in situation. I know he's a guy that's not gonna lay down on the season. So in these regular season games, he's going to go as hard as he can and try and carry him as far as he can, no matter who's playing with him or not. Because the one thing we know is that. He he's not gonna just lay down and accept the defeat. He's not he and he doesn't want it. So I mean, I, until they do it, until until they show me that they out, I, I got to roll with them still having the opportunity. Hey, Quentin, we go, we only got like thirty seconds here, but you always start your podcast asking your guests who the first person to bust their butt was when they got in the league. I'm sure you've answered it before, but who was that for you? Vashon <laughs> Leonard. First game in Denver. <laughs> that, that 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 I can't even blame it on the altitude. I just was a young. 
young pup who didn't didn't give the give the OG the proper respect, and he he gave me a quick seventeen in the first sixteen. I mean, the first six minutes, and I was sitting on the bench trying to figure out what the heck was going on. <laughs> Fitz, if you ever want to have the world's worst FOMO, just get Q talking about being a Jordan Brand athlete from the start and the deliveries that he used to get a billion times better than that PS Five that just showed up at your door was getting to look. I fought for a long time Jordan. for this PS Five, by the way, but yeah, Q, you, like if, I mean. Like if you ever, you know, got some extra nine and a half sitting I'm around. I'm sure they'll like, fit you. Yeah, I'm sure whatever. Yeah. Nine he's and a half. That's why I specify with people like big, nine and a half. Big like, body just send him one here, shoe. I'm, I'm, fifth, I'm a fifteen. Big body Benz is over here. Yeah, you know give, what? give him one some, shoe. He'll cut it in half and he'll I'll put use some it padding at the end of that. It'll work <laughs> out. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Q Ridge. Check out the Knuckleheads podcast, man. Always appreciate your time, brother. Thanks for coming on with us. No problem. Anytime. Oh, that was it. Just. Tiny feet. I'm constantly reminded about my tiny, tiny feet. All right, coming up, how long is this baseball stalemate going to last? We'll discuss it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're all Miley tonight. (laughs) Sarah got to see Miley before the Super Bowl. I saw the first time that Miley ever sang this song live, uh, Wrecking Ball, was at iHeart in Vegas. And we had played iHeart that year when I was with the Van Perry. And so after the iHeart set, I went out. I think we had sort of similar experiences at the time. I remember going out to watch the set, and I was thinking, you know, this is – I don't know what to expect from this whole Miley thing. Like, yeah, like I really, we'll, we'll be uh, here I, for Party in the USA, but yeah. I'm not so sure about the rest. Yeah, and, and then I started watching the show, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, the performance was great. She sang yeah. her tail off, and she got to Wrecking Ball. I was like, I've never done this live, but – we're going to do it today. And I just goosebumps. Had to, I think of it every time I hear that song. So Miley Crazy talented. I fell yeah. in love with Miley at uh, the show. She's, uh, she's a tremendous performer. She's very charming. Her outfit was hot. Her voice was incredible. She was really kind to her fans. Like They threw her t-shirts and she put it on for a song or you know, shout out their signs. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, is there a name for Miley-X? Miley-heads? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Well, we gotta get My her on the show. Like, like all the sports stuff she's doing, we should get just get her on the show. Like we should we should hang out with her and uh, and then we'll all become best. Smilers, I got it. Smilers, they're, they're, they're oh. apparently called smilers. Oh well, I'm well a smiler. That, that's I'm a smiler, fitting because we're always happy on this show. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, happy news for UConn women's basketball team. They announced Thursday that uh, Paige Beckers has been cleared to return from knee surgery. Will suit up for the first time since early December whoop, whoop. when they take on St. John's on Friday in Hartford. This is a huge, huge moment for an incredible player to get back on the court. And, you know, I I think we talk a lot about women's basketball on the show, and and we've talked repeatedly over the last year or so about how much more talent there is in the college game than we've seen before. It's just it's rising and rising and rising. And getting Paige back is a huge moment for a team in the Huskies that I think people have sort of started to ignore a little bit this year because they haven't been as good, but they'll get her back and everything will change. Yeah, injuries have been a big part of that. And then, of course, there was some uh, a little bit of drama early in the season when Gino was just going off on his players, calling them, you know, stubborn and saying, you know, he didn't have enough talent. And um, I was bummed because uh, UConn was coming to play the women of DePaul here in Chicago, and I had organized a group of us that all wanted to go see Paige. And she went down, AZ Fudd went down, and I was like, eh, 
we're good. <laughs> I'd like to come ha come back around when I can see those two. But yeah, if they get healthy at the right time, they're going to be just one of those teams that isn't at the top. But you're still worried. You're still very worried about them. Um, unless you're, I guess, Aaliyah Boston, who should not be worried or scared about anybody. But um, yeah, I mean, it, even the Gamecocks might be looking back and saying, "Ooh, if UConn gets healthy and hot at the right time, this could be a little bit different. I mean, it also speaks to the excellence of what they've been able to accomplish for so long that, frankly, yeah. what were they, 15-4 and four during our absence and 20-5 and five overall, and we're like, oh, I don't know, it's an off year for UConn this <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, of like, course. It, it always sort of makes me laugh when we see it uh, play out that way. But, again, I think anybody that's just rooting for the sport, Paige getting back is the sort of thing that only continues to bring more attention. Now, uh, there's plenty of attention being pay paid to Major League Baseball as negotiations continue between the owners and the Major League Baseball Players Association, all of this will impact whether or not we get games played or when we get games played. To that, ESPN Major League Baseball insider Jeff Passan said this on SportsCenter All Night. I think it will definitely happen before Memorial Day. I, don't, I, I can't envision a scenario in which everybody involved doesn't recognize the incredible amount of damage that that would do to the game. And, you know, maybe missing 5, 10, 15 games mitigates the damage some, but if we're talking 50-plus, uh, that is, uh, I mean, that's disastrous, right? Like, losing games, losing games is really bad. Uh, losing a third of the season or more, absolutely disastrous. Yeah, I think it is for a couple of reasons. Obviously, financially, that's huge, especially for the players and especially after the COVID shortened season. And I think also we understand that there are so many things pulling people's attention. The, the diehards are going to come back. Probably the casuals are going to come back and stick to it. But if you're trying to grow numbers of baseball fans at that really impressionable younger age that fall in love with it and stick with it, and it's just not around and you find something else, that's a real problem. I think, you know, you have to start thinking about the long term and the short term and how do you navigate all of this together. I'm maybe naive, and I'll be the first to admit it, because my love of the Raiders, which everybody knows, is so thick that I feel like there's so there's virtually nothing that would truly drive me away. So I feel like when we start these conversations, a lot of times we say, oh, my God, uh, if this doesn't get fixed, people are going to be driven away. Well, if you're a lifelong Reds fan and the Reds start playing well, that part of your heart is just connected to it. And that's one of the, the faults at times with fandom that allows owners and players to get away with so much. I, I don't know what it takes to actually break that spirit. But I do know, as been smart, smartly pointed out by a few different people, and I heard Freddie and Fitzsimmons talking about this last night, the average age of baseball fans is older. And so as you're trying to navigate how to compete with a younger audience that right now is gravitating towards the NBA – a labor disagreement is not helpful any in this process. So, yeah. like, short-term, I think, honestly, the diehards stay. But long-term, all of this just plays into anybody that has that tiny seed of doubt on why not to watch baseball. This is the stuff that only continues to, to grow that seed if they don't get games played. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget, tune in Saturday for college basketball action as Virginia hosts Florida State. Coverage begins at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You mentioned the NBA. Certainly a lot of fans, especially young folks who just watch highlights on YouTube instead of even games that are finding it more compelling, especially the superstar aspect of it, than baseball. And that brings us to what we asked folks earlier in the show. What is the wildest prediction you are willing to make about the end of the NBA season that might actually come true? Here's a couple funny ones. At Jay Horo. Uh, Kyrie Irving is allowed to play home games, but finds a reason not to. Nets get bounced <laughs> in the first round. Uh, I'm all at, in for that. Yeah, I'm here for that for sure. At AZ Bobby L, Brooklyn will need to play the play-in game 
Interesting. Uh, at mm. Finhead83, Sarah will be a Heat fan for two weeks period while cheering on Jimmy Butler to get his championship. Uh, that could happen. Uh, it's possible. I don't know if I'd go as far as to s- describe myself as a Heat fan, but I might say, oh, you know, I'd like to see Jimmy win it. Um, at Wezzy0257, CP3 out a month plus. The Suns fall to the three seed. The Nuggets get Porter and Murray back and eliminate the Suns in the first round. Oh, I I, that. that's... I Oof. like that. That's a good. That's a good. Prediction. Yeah, I mean, we do have to see what Booker can look like without CP3. Yeah. We haven't had that before, and it could be a big uh, difference depending on how how good he is when he comes back and when he does come back. Uh, at Luca underscore NYC, Ben Simmons hits game winning free throws against the 76ers in Philly in Game Seven. That would be incredible. Even better if he hit a game winning three. If Ben Simmons yeah. drained it, or for that matter, dunked the ball from a foot away to win the game. Uh, at Marjorie, age 79, LeBron realizes the Lakers have no chance and decides to sit the remainder of the season. There are already people floating that idea, Fitz. Oh, well, we all know what it's really going to be. It's going to be a Bulls-Grizzlies final. We called it That's right. First. That's right. Freddie and Fitzsimmons is next. The entire Bulls team joining them. Thanks for hanging wow, out. Wow, mid-game. Fans.